Let's pray. Father, we come before you again just so grateful that we can come boldly into your presence. When you died on the cross and you split the curtain, you made a statement that we can come to you. All those who are weary, all those who are heavy laden, all those who are excited, all those who are joyful, but it doesn't matter. We, we can just come. And so as God's people, we come to you today. And we ask that you would help us listen to your word, help us understand your word. In some ways, Father, I want to ask for forgiveness for me and even for us. We open up your word sometimes, and it's so casual. We sing a song that we, well, we've sung a thousand times. And yet, you are the great I am. You are the king of kings. You are creator that by the very words of your mouth, you brought into existence our world. And so sometimes, Lord, we hear a story. And in fact, there's three passages today we're going to look at. And all these are so familiar, Lord. So many times we've, we've heard some of these tales. But we would ask that you would give us fresh perspective. May we see you more like the great I am. We pray for all those churches that are in this area, all over this state and all over our country, all over the world where people are meeting together, some in small little house churches, others in magnificent buildings. But they want to hear from you, and they want to praise you, and they want to honor you. And Father, we pray that happens. We pray that, that you would unleash us today to be salt and light in your world. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. If you're newer with us, we've been walking through the whole Bible. We're in the Newer Testament now, right in the Gospels, literally about the second year of Jesus Christ's public ministry. The Messiah had come. The Jews were a little confused because, well, the Messiah didn't look like the Messiah they were hoping to have. The Gentiles were just totally enamored. They couldn't believe some guy could walk on water and some guy could multiply bread and some guy could, well, teach and heal. I mean, people who were blind were now seeing. People that couldn't walk, they could just walk. The arrival was good news for everyone. But Jesus, as he stayed on this planet, he left a wake wherever he went. I mean, it started at birth, right? When Mary and Joseph started telling people that, well, the Holy Spirit was the one that caused this baby to be formed. Really. People started looking just a little bit different at that time. 
We knew Jesus was different because at 12 years old, he was sitting in the temple area and discussing with the rabbis about the kingdom. A 12-year-old going head to head. But now Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He chose 12 disciples about a year into his ministry, and he asked them to follow him, to do life with him, to live with him, to go everywhere with him. And he would teach them about the kingdom, about how amazing his father was and what ministry would look like. Jesus had established a pattern. In case you've no, or not noticed, he began to teach, and then he would heal, and then he would take his disciples away and debrief them. Now, we're pretty convinced that Jesus was the greatest of all teachers. And so you would ask the question, or at least wonder, why didn't the disciples get it? I mean, if you have Jesus teaching you, don't you think that would be like a no-brainer? You would just know exactly what he's saying and, and why he is saying it. Well, we just know that we as humans don't always get it all, no matter who the teacher is. If you remember, probably a couple months back, we were talking about Ezra and Nehemiah and how this gigantic um, revival came. And, and they were reading the scriptures after a whole long time. And, and Ezra, who was a scribe and also a teacher, then divided up everybody. Says, hey, you've just heard this book of Deuteronomy for the very first time, and I know it's blowing your socks right off, so you're going to need to debrief it, figure it out. Well, that's what was happening over and over again when the scriptures, because sometimes God talks in ways that we don't get, and we try to figure out some of these things, but, but it's always good to debrief. Last week, we heard... Jesus tell one of the most famous of all parables, the parable of the soils. Then he took his disciples away and began to explain the importance of receiving God's word well. Now to us, again, that seemed like a simple parable, but Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples understood how important God's word was and that every time it's given out that we have a choice in how to receive it. Now, if you would, let's turn to Mark 4. We ended up in Mark 4 last week, but we're going to jump to the end of the chapter. Christ's agenda had been full up to this time, and the demands of the crowds were relentless. So let me say it a different way. The ministry had taken its toll. The disciples were tired Jesus was absolutely exhausted at this place. So what they did is they got into a boat and they shoved their boat out into the Sea of Galilee hoping to get some peace, some quiet, and get to the other side. Well, most of these guys were fishermen. And most of these guys knew the Sea of Galilee. And most of them would have understood that really at night it is the, a safe bet. Shouldn't be any kind of a problem. 
But the scripture tells us that the waves begin to crash. And the wind begins to blow. And the water, or the boat is taking on water, and Jesus is sleeping. Look at Mark chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 33. As the evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in a boat and started off, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats did follow. But soon after, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I love this. This is probably Peter's recollection. Mark wrote this, but Mark and Peter were buddies, all right? And and this is what he remembers. The disciples were absolutely terrified. And under their breath, they said, who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, i got to be honest. Jesus was the master of asking questions. In other words, a lame man would walk up to him, and Jesus said, what do you want? Well, it's rather obvious I can't walk. How about it? The disciples are all in this boat. They're screaming. At least seven of them are professional boat rowers. Fishermen on the lake every single day. They are petrified. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm. Everything is quiet. He looks at them and says, Why are you afraid? Well, to me, it seems rather obvious. I'm afraid because I'm going to drown, Jesus, and you are sleeping in the back of the boat. Maybe not with that kind of attitude. But maybe. (laughs) What kind of question is this? But what you learn is that Jesus always asks good questions. What he was really trying to say is this. Don't you realize that my presence in this boat should make all the difference in the world? Well, Jesus, why don't you just say that? I mean, it'd be easier if you could just kind of interpret for me so I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm feeling a little bit stupid right now. Jesus wasn't trying to make anybody feel stupid. But what he was trying to say is this. He said, guys, I have been with you now for a while. You've seen me. You've seen my presence and the difference that it makes in people. You do. Now, you guys always want calm seas. You guys want life just to go really smoothly. But what I want to tell you 
is that it's not about the boat, it's not about the storms, and even the filling up of the water. I want you to understand that when I'm in your boat, you don't have to be afraid. And then as an exclamation or whatever, he basically says this, my power should terrify you. There's nothing like it. Of course you're scared right now. One moment, the waves and the wind. The next moment, boom. Nothing. Yeah. You thought me sleeping was powerful. I have power. I'm going to take care of this situation. I am. Troubles are going to come, but a relationship with me makes all the difference in the world. I can guarantee that if I had you one-on-one and we're drinking our coffee and we start talking about life, a lot of times problems come out because that's what you do with a pastor is you tell them all your issues. Well, sometimes. And this guy's doing this and my neighbor's this kind of person and my boss treats me like this. And then at the end of the session, if you want to call it a session or time together... I pray for you, and you are expecting me to pray, oh, Father, fix your boss and fix your neighbor and your wife. Whoa, can you fix my wife? All this, all right? And I pray like this, Lord, my heart is broken from hearing these stories. It is. And I know we want calm seas. But I also know that you are enough. Would you show up big in Matilda's life right now? Is there Matilda here? Good. Good choice. So what happens is that we just need to understand that although we always want the calm, calmness, It's all about Jesus being in the boat with us. Well, you would think, again, Jesus might even give a break, all right? But after a tough night, a little bit of rest, they land into the Gentile region, okay? The non-Jewish part around the Sea of Galilee. And it's called Generis. No one could have imagined what happened. They just had this amazing experience. But I am telling you, turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, look at verse 1. Nobody could have scripted this one. I'm letting you know. So they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of Generesis. When Jesus climbed out of the boat... A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put in the chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and, and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day or night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. 
with a shriek. He screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. There's two other places in the gospel that give us this same scenario. But as we put them all together, let me just kind of paint a picture for you. These guys are exhausted. They're sleepy. They're finally getting to the shore. My sense is it's foggy, because it always has to be foggy when you get to the shore. And you're looking up, and you see a little bit of the graveyard. And you pull in, and, and you know how you Get out of a boat, a few guys, you know, they jump in the water, they pull it up, and the rest of you then come out on dry land, and, and you're kind of shaking off and trying to figure out what's going on. And, and the 13 are standing there on the beach, and they're stretching out, and 12 of them are wondering, I wonder what Jesus is going to do. And then, <laughs> out of the fog, this man possessed by demons comes running toward them. I'm going to call him Denny. Okay, Denny, we're we're just going to use that term because the Bible doesn't give him a name. And I don't want to keep calling him a man who's been filled with demons. All right? So then out of the fog, they see Denny. Now granted, you've heard this story, some of you, but try to picture it. A naked, screaming, bloody, matted hair and beard man comes shrieking at you yeah I don't think his eyes could focus I don't think he could focus it was unbelievable everything right there to a Jew shouted unclean let's leave but not Jesus remember he does he blows you away all the time and what's, what's so very, very cool, I'm pretty sure by this time, there are only two on the beach. The other guys have climbed back into the boat and are as far away as they can watching Jesus and this crazy man talk. Okay? Now, what's so cool is that Jesus then starts a conversation. Now, again, you've heard this story, but folks, there is nothing in any of us that would sit down and say, okay, there's a naked, crazy, bloody man right a few feet from me. Let's go talk to him. No. You you would be going the other way, but that's not Jesus. So in verse 9, if you look there, Chapter 5, then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send him to a distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us to those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave him permission The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now again, I don't know if I'd believe a demon or the demon spokesman. 
But at least the Romans will get a little bit of an idea. A Roman army that, well, numbered 6,000 could be called a legion. So this guy literally says, I'm legions. There's a, there's a few of us here, okay? And I just want you to know and understand this, Jesus. Well, it didn't actually bother Jesus at all. All we know is that the pig herds, I came up with that. Instead of shepherds, pig herds. Okay, you're not getting it. Maybe it's not so good. All the guys who were watching the pigs are standing there. They're not doing anything different. And then all of a sudden, 2,000 pigs. There was a pig stampede. And I'm really sure pigs don't run that fast. Okay, especially big ones. So their pig stampede is waddling, you know, down the edge of the cliff. And they run into the Sea of Galilee. Oh, my word. The news spreads quickly because these young men begin to run back to town. Look at verse 14. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began to plead. If you underline your Bibles, I would circle underline plead. Because it's so odd. With Jesus to go away and leave them alone. (laughs) Probably the shepherds again are young. It's this kind of a low-end job, all right? Go take care of some pigs. And can you imagine them watching this? All, the whole herd now floating in the Sea of Galilee. They're running, they're screaming. And again, just as young boys probably, you know, just certain words came out. Pigs dead, floating, pigs dead, floating, and just running down. And they come back to the owners and they come huffing and puffing in. And they're going, pigs, what's wrong? Pigs are gone. Okay, how many pigs are going? All of them. All of them? What's going on? I got to see this. And so the the owners, the people, everybody by this time, they end up back where all this happened. And at this moment, there's gasps. It's shocking what they're seeing. Two things. Pig bobbers and a calm-clothed Denny. The crowd was petrified. They've never seen anything like this. I'm pretty sure focused more on their economic loss than the joy of seeing this crazy man clothed. I get it. But the crowd was afraid. They've never experienced any kind of power like this or seen this. And again, I look, well, of course you'd be afraid. I mean, it's never happened before. But they heard this story. And now they're standing there with Jesus, with Denny, and looking at their pigs all dead. 
the presence of Jesus changed everything again. Before Jesus came, there was a crazy man. Before Jesus came, there were 2,000 pigs. Now, there wasn't a crazy man, and we didn't have pigs. Wow. I don't know if they even noticed Denny very much. The scriptures don't say that there was a bunch of dancing. They didn't go embrace him. They, they didn't do any of that. And, and in my mind, I'm even wondering if any of Denny's family or friends were there. Weren't there just even maybe a few that would be so happy that maybe Denny was like a real person now, not a crazy guy? But Jesus, again, was showing what happens in the kingdom. Jesus comes into a place, and he restores, he brings calm, and he gives life. What's really scary is some of us don't think we're like Denny. We don't. We think we're sort of good, and we have sort of good habits, and we take showers, and, and I'm pretty sure most of you do. But really, a life without Jesus is chaotic. A life without Jesus is self-focused. A life without Jesus, well, brings destruction. And it's one of the most beautiful examples of what we are apart from Jesus. And what happens when Jesus comes in our life? Well, the crowd was blinded. They only cared about the pigs. And I get it. It's understandable. But the scriptures say they pleaded with Jesus to go. We don't understand, but would you leave? You scare us. And I'll tell you what the scary thing is. It's not the pigs floating. The scary thing is that Jesus will go if you ask him. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over again. People that don't want any part of Jesus, Jesus listens. Wow. I wonder, though, after Jesus heard these words as he was walking back to the boat, what was he thinking? He, he didn't turn around and start arguing with him. He said, hey, guys, can I time out? Do you understand what I just did? Do you, do you see all that Denny can be now? He, he didn't do any of that. He said, I can do the same for you. I am the bread of love. No, none of that. He got in the boat, and he began to leave. And here comes a really weird part, okay? Look at, look at verse 18. And as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man listened, I added that, but started off to visit the ten towns of that region and begin to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he was told. Then he comes begging. He comes running down. Maybe he's even starting to put his foot in the boat. And Jesus says, what's going on? I'm going to come with you, Jesus. You've changed my life. This is so cool. 
And in some ways, I think Jesus' response, doesn't it shock you? It, it, it does me. Like, he would be a great addition to the disciples. They could go to the next town. Hey, let me just tell you, here's a guy that's been <laughs> possessed by a whole lot of demons. Why don't you talk to him? Kind of a freak show. But Jesus says this, and this is so cool. He gives Denny an assignment. He says, go home and tell your story. Now, you may have heard this story again, and you say, okay, well, that's cool. He's going to go home and tell people. Folks, Jesus, he doesn't know anything about Jesus, except I was a crazy man. I met him, and he gave me peace. You would think, well, well, maybe Jesus just spent a week with him. Spent a couple weeks with him. Make sure he understands theology. Make sure he understands the Trinity. Make sure all this kind of stuff, because it's really important that when he goes out and proclaims good news, that, that he has all the background. No seminary. No training. Not even spiritual boot camp. You know, you would think that would have been there. He listened, and people were amazed. And actually, I believe, responded. Now, just a few chapters later, remember how all the people treated him, told him to leave the regions, we don't like you, and so on. In Mark chapter 7, verse 31, few chapters, you can check that out. Jesus is back in the ten towns area again. And people are begging for Jesus to heal them. Something has changed. But if you look at chapter 8, something more amazing happens. Multitudes are gathering around to hear Jesus teach. And the miracle of feeding 4,000 men, not including uh, women and children, happened here. Now, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that's because Denny went back home. But I gotta believe it. One day, these people were so calloused and afraid of Jesus. And probably the next time he came through, people want healing, people want to listen, people are enamored. And my guess is right there, Denny, front row, when Jesus was teaching. He was so grateful. Oh. Then a short time later. This is moving. Lots of things, like I said, are happening. Hanging out with Jesus exhausts everybody. But a short time later, remember, I have been sharing with you, especially in the Gospels, that some of them overlap. Um, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they give one sort of perspective. The Gospel of John was written a lot later, gives a different perspective, but you put them all together and you see the life of Jesus very clearly, for the most part. But just a little bit after this time, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 9, or I put it up on the screen for you, Okay. Matthew chapter 9, just a little bit later, listen to what Matthew says. Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. 
when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I want to stop there just a moment. When Jesus saw people, he didn't see them as extra grace people. When Jesus saw people, he didn't see them as pains in the neck people. Or these people are going to take a lot of work and a lot of energy from me. Jesus saw people very differently. It started just a few weeks before when all the disciples, I think, were in the boat. And Jesus was the only one talking to the naked, scabby, crabby man. He was it. That was it. So Jesus sees people different. They're kind of confused and helpless. And then he said this at the end of this text. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great. He's looking at these people. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Can we go back to that? Yeah, there, thank you. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. Jesus travels around announcing the good news and healing wherever he goes. He is bringing calmness. He's restoring what the kingdom ought to look like. There's not disease in the kingdom. There's not what so much of us experience every single day. But he's making an impact. And Christ's presence brings hope and health and courage. And he looks out at the crowds and he has compassion because they were confused and helpless. And then Jesus ministers them and gives the disciples this message. The harvest is great. There's lots of fields that are ripe. Actually, there's lots of people that don't know me. Now again, this is a great verse for a missionary conference as you're trying to raise funds for Kenya. And I don't make fun of that. What I'm trying to say is that right here in Fox Lake and in Ingleside and in Spring Grove and in Lake Zurich and all the surrounding communities, there are people who are helpless and confused. Jesus says, pray for workers, for laborers. Now pray for bosses. Usually, and some of you are more farmers than I am, which probably everyone is more farmer than I am, but a harvest usually is time sensitive. There's some urgency. There's a certain time that you need to act and respond. You know what's so interesting here? And and again, if you mark your Bibles, he did not pray. Jesus said, didn't say, hey, make sure you pray for really good Christian leaders because you're going to need them. He did not say, why don't you pray for other rabbis? 
He did not say, go pray for some pastors, because you really need pastors. He said, pray for laborers. And let me put it a different way. Pray for Denny's. Denny's. The people that know they need a Savior. The people that without Jesus are miserable. Their hair is matted. They're naked. They're scabby. They don't know. They're screaming all the time. They're cutting themselves with knives. Pray for laborers. People who will go back and share with others the good news of God's transformation or transforming life. You know what? I, I, I got to just say this. As I shared with you, I really think that this demon-possessed man really represents a life beautifully that doesn't have Jesus. And I was thinking through this, and whether it's my neighbors or people that I I work with or have worked with or people that I interact with, if my next-door neighbor came out naked, scabby, yelling, screaming, and cutting himself, my normal reaction would not be go toward them. It just wouldn't. I would rather be back in the boat with all my cronies. Jesus, you take care of that person. I'm going to be safe. Think of this. Because a person that doesn't have Jesus, it's not always easy to go to. It's not always easy to walk toward. Because they're a mess sometimes. Sometimes they hide it if they can put clothes on really nice and maybe fix their hair up. But they're filled with scars. Jesus says, I look out and there's a whole lot of people who are miserable. They have fun at times. But they don't have me. When they go through a storm, they're scared. Every night they sleep alone. Every night they're screaming. Every night they're sleeping in tombs. I came to change a life. Denny, go back and just tell people. Tell people what you are. Don't hide your scars, Denny. In fact, wear a tank top. Let everybody know what your past life was like without me. Point to the scars. Share with them how miserable you were before you met me. And people will come. People will respond. So what was Jesus trying to do? What was he teaching us? What was he modeling? Well, really, he was modeling this. A relationship with me changes everything, now and later. Now there's a purpose. It's called abundant life. Later, when you eventually close your eyes and eternity begins, you will spend eternity with your 
heavenly Father. Second thing, go tell your story of transformation. If you've been changed, you're qualified. You are. I'm qualified. You don't need to know Greek. You don't need to be super educated. That's why I love the baptism time just a few weeks ago. All people said was this, you know what? Before I met Jesus, I was dead. After I met Jesus, I'm alive. That's your story. It's about the God of miracles, what the God of miracles does in every one of our lives. Before I met Jesus, I was like this. After Nobody, nobody can argue with that. Do you, do you understand that? And even if you really want to look at it and go a little deeper, Jesus sent him home. I love hearing stories of transformation at home. Where kids will come and say, man, I don't know what's wrong with my dad. I've never seen anybody act like this before. The guy's kinder. He's more loving. He's gracious. Yeah. He's been spending time with Jesus. He has. How cool is that? Let me, let me also warn you this. Your enemy's greatest weapon against you is going to be your past. Okay? What you looked like before you met Jesus. The things you did before you met Jesus. The things you thought about before you met Jesus. But I also want to say this. This is so cool. God's greatest tool is your past. All right? The enemy wants to flaunt that and show how disqualified you are. And Jesus just really wants to do the opposite. He says, you know what? You were a miserable scoundrel. You were. Show your scars. And even some of us, after we come to faith, we've run from God. And we've hurt others. Families. Churches. And God says, you know what? Be overwhelmed with my grace. Show people, share with people who you are because of Jesus. Again, we think we have to know all the answers. As your pastor, I stand before you, I don't know a lot of answers. I don't. What I know is that Jesus changed my life. And right now, at the age I'm at, I am more excited to be able to tell this story. More passionate, making sure people hear this story. Because their lives will be different. They will. And that's amazing. Lastly, we pray for laborers. We pray that we would go out and tell people Good news. I was dead and now I'm alive. Now, the truth is, is that you need to walk with God in order to have your life changed. So, again, if you're still robbing banks and you're telling people you love Jesus, don't tell anyone you love Jesus. I'm just letting you know, bad, bad testimony. Okay? But if you're walking with God, and you're becoming kinder. You're forgiving people that don't deserve to be forgiven. You're loving. You're serving. It's okay to let people know, I'm a very selfish person without Jesus, but with Jesus, I see things way different. 
How cool is that? I'm going to pray, but we're going to continue our worship and sing about the God who gives dead people life. A God who is a God of miracles. A God who who designs, loves to be able to come into our lives and give us hope and life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We recognize that you were a whirlwind, God. You just, for three years, you talked to people, you encouraged people, you helped people, but you showed us. You went toward those who were messy, those who were disturbed, those who had no hope for life without a relationship with you. Oh, God, we need you in our boat. We need you to be able to share. We need you, Father, to give us perspective that we just don't have. You are the God of miracles. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.